Good morning, everyone. It's a joy to be here this morning. Thanks for letting me join you all today. Uh, uh, I was here about a year ago, and a lot has happened in our world since then. A lot. Uh, a lot of changes that many of us have gone through. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said that the physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. I don't know about you, but I have really felt that as our church has begun to regather. I think we regathered maybe four or five weeks ago now. I don't know how, how many weeks you guys have been at this, but I'm sure you're finding this to be true uh, as well. The physical presence, the actual physical presence of other believers is a source of incomparable joy and strength. Uh, the first Sunday that our church was able to gather again, man, it felt like Christmas. I felt it all the way in my bones. One of the members of our church texted us that morning, and she was like, man, I feel like I'm getting ready for prom this morning. Uh, we felt that as well. I, I do want you to know that I opened up your website early this morning uh, and prayed that God would do mighty things for you, in you, through you here in, in Downingtown, that his gospel will be proclaimed mightily, I was going to say inside these walls, but inside this tent um, for now, inside these walls in the future and in the communities that you all live, work, and play in as well, that he would just explode your expectations about what he's up to and what he's going to do. And so that's my prayer for you this morning. Uh, would you pray with me now as we, uh, as we jump into Psalm 61? God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts would be acceptable in your sight our strength, and our Redeemer. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Kids, there are a few of you here. I want you to know that it is like a super honor to have you guys join us for Sunday Gathered. I know that many times, maybe more often than not, you are in your classes, um, but Jesus loved little kids and big kids and adults too. Um, he really loves y'all, and I think he has something for you this morning from, from Psalm 61. I think you'll find a lot to love as a kid from this psalm this morning. I think you'll find some really cool stuff in here, and if you want, I'd encourage you, if you have a pen and paper, to draw a little bit of some of the imagery that you see in Psalm 61. There's, there's a lot of great adults, if you want to draw pictures too, that's totally cool. But I would love to see some of your artwork afterwards. If you do end up drawing a picture, if not, that's fine too. But... Um, I want to encourage you to pay attention because there's some really sweet stuff here. Um, this, this sermon this morning is not just for your mom and your dad. It's for all of us. Well, let me read Psalm 61 for us this morning. Um, short psalm. Hear these words of David, inspired by the Spirit of God. He says, Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the foe. I long to dwell in your tent forever and take refuge in the shelter of your wings. For you, God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Increase the days of the king's life, his years for many generations. May he be enthroned in God's presence forever. Appoint your love and faithfulness to protect him. Then I will ever sing in the praise of your name and fulfill my vows day after day. Well, most scholars think that David penned Psalm 61 when he was on the run from his son, Absalom. Now, why would a king be on the run from his own son? 
Well, if you rewind a couple of decades here, you can find this story in 2 Samuel chapters 13 through 18. This isn't right, but David had himself a whole bunch of wives, okay? And with one of his wives, he had a son named Absalom and a daughter named Tamar. Tamar was a really beautiful woman. Well, David had a different son with a different wife too. This son's name was Amnon. Amnon was literally Absalom's brother from another mother. I thought that would go off a little bit different and a little bit better, but thanks for the courtesy laugh. Thank you. Well, Amnon becomes obsessed with his half-sister Tamar, and he sexually assaults her. Of course, this angers David, but shockingly and grievously, he doesn't do anything about it. And this incenses Absalom. He is so ticked. And he, he hates Amnon for assaulting his sister, and eventually he kills Amnon. Well, after he kills him, Absalom flees from Jerusalem for years until David finally lets him back into the city. But by this point, his heart is just fully turned against his, his father, David. And now he just wants to kill David, too. He's had enough. Well, over the course of time, Absalom is able to gain power in the city, and he's able to sway a group of people against David. And so this time, it's David who is fleeing the city and not Absalom. Well, as you can imagine, well, this is the setting for Psalm 61. And, and as you can imagine, David is just at the end of himself here. He has a rapist for a son, a daughter who has been raped by his son, and a murderous traitor in his other son. He's not a good father. His own people are betraying him, wanting to kill him, and he's on the run. And so it's in the midst of this pain that he sits down to pen these words in Psalm 61. He's a broken, broken man in search of something solid to cling to when everything dear in his life just seems to be slipping away. Well, a couple of weeks ago, my family went on a short vacation to the Jersey Shore, or down the shore, as all you locals call it. I'm not a local, but Miriam, my southern-born and raised wife, has begun saying down the shore, which means we're all in trouble. The next thing you know, she's going to be calling that stuff that comes out of the faucet wooder. Man. So anyway, my, my two older kids took a float out into the, to the water, into the ocean. They were having a good old time, and each time they would go out into the water, they would end up way down the shoreline because of that current. I'd keep an eye on them, obviously, keep my eyes trained on them, but then I'd watch as they would trudge back out of the surf and onto the beach. And every time they would get out of the water, I could see it on their faces. They'd freak out a little bit like, uh, mommy and daddy aren't where they th- we thought that they would be. Obviously, it's because they had drifted while they were floating. Well, after seeing them get disconcerted a few times, I gave them a pro tip. Um, we had these two big beach umbrellas sort of pushed together to give some relief from the sun. You didn't think I got this silky smooth tan by being out in the sun, did you? So I brought them close and I said, hey, look, when you're out in the water, just keep your eyes trained on these two umbrellas pushed together. And one of us, mommy or daddy, will always be here. Then you'll know where we're at the whole time. Just keep your eyes on the umbrellas. Well, those double umbrellas were a reference point for them when they were floating down the shoreline. Well, in Psalm 61 here, David is giving us a reference point for when we're afraid, like my kids were the other day at the beach. Like, where in the world are mom and dad? Oh yeah, they're right back there. They didn't move. We were the ones who moved. 
And we can be like, where in the world is God in all of this? And then we can fix our eyes here on Psalm 61. Oh yeah, God's right there. He hasn't moved. We have. So in Psalm 61, we find something to keep our eyes on when we are in trouble. And all of us are in trouble at one time or another, and the trouble seems to be concentrated right now, doesn't it? Well, Psalm 61 might just be the lowest that David had ever gotten in his life. With every heartbeat, his depression seems to deepen a little bit more. Verse 2, you can see it right there. His heart is faint. Now, I'm not sure if you're feeling low like David this morning. Some of us probably are. In the season since COVID uh, quarantine started in our church, we, we have lost something like 35 to 40 people who have just moved out of state. And some of our dearest friends, some pastors, some worship leaders, it's just been this like this concentrated uh, exodus. And it's been really hard and discouraging. Uh, we said goodbye just yesterday uh, to my wife's sister and uh, a brother-in-law. Uh, he's the main worship leader at our church, and we said goodbye to them. They're moving to South Carolina, those jerks. Um, but it's been, a, it's been a really... I forgot that we're on the internet with this, so maybe I should be more careful. But anyway, um, it's, like that, it's like that lyric that Angelica Hamilton sings when her sister Eliza's life is collapsing all around her. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Hamilton soundtrack, but she sings, The moments when you're in so deep, it feels easier to just swim down. Some of you are so deep in a mess right now. It may be you're doing, it may be somebody else is doing, but you're wounded, you're hurting, you're confused, wondering when or even if God is ever going to show up in this. And you kind of just want to swim down, not up. You're like David here in verse 2. You're, you're feeling faint. Thankfully, Christianity is not for the faint, is for the faint not for the strong. Christianity is for the faint, not for the strong. So often the prayers of our life are muffled by the tears of life, aren't they? We're in good company with David right here. No matter your current situation, whether it's good or bad or somewhere in between, there's a word here for all of us this morning in Psalm 61. This psalm is just flooded with the character of God. If you want stability in your life, Keep your eyes laser-focused on the character of God. It's the one stable thing in all the universe, the one thing that doesn't move. That character, like those beach umbrellas on the shore, it doesn't move. Life around you will. Circumstances change. They improve. They worsen. But God's character remains rock-solid, permanently fixed on the shore of your story. So you got to keep your eyes fixed on God's character. So the first part of God's character that is steadying, for David is God's highness, how elevated he is. So as you drift down the shoreline of your life, you got to keep your eyes focused on the highness of God. God, fix your gaze on the highness of God. That's, that's number one in verses one through three. Fix your gaze on the highness of God. God's highness gives him the supreme vantage point. There is no one higher. There is no one more equipped to help us deal with our problems than God. Look where David's at in verse two. He says he's at the end of the earth, and yet he still fully expects to be heard by God. No matter where you're at, Christian, God can hear you. You are heard. The place of David's place, the, the place of David's plea is far, yet he is still heard. Christian, God can hear you over the din of everything that's going on. 
in your life right now. Like many of you, probably my family has an Alexa in our house. And sometimes the music from The Greatest Showman or Hamilton is playing so loud, like so loud in our house. And so many times I've called out for someone that I need in the house and they just can't hear me. Super frustrating when you're on the opposite end of the house and on a different floor calling for someone else in your family that you need. And it's, it's hard enough for them to hear in that situation. But you add Alexa at volume 10 and you are in real trouble. More times than I'd like to admit, I've gotten so mad at that tiny little cylinder sitting on the counter in our kitchen. Alexa, stop, stop. If you're watching online, I might have just told Alexa to stop whatever she's doing. But um, listen, you will, you will never have to shout God down in the din of your life. No matter how far away it feels like you are, no matter how loud the circumstances are in your life, God will always, always, always be able to hear you. So run to him, pray to him, fix your eyes on him and on his, on his immovability. You may be able to just barely lift your eyes up to the rock that's referenced here in this psalm. You may not have much energy, maybe even just very little desire. No matter how faint your prayer, you are heard by God. The voice of David's heart is faint, yet he is still heard. Verse 2. And now David, he knows that he can't even get to the rock without help. He has to be led to it. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. See that there in verse 2? He has, he has no idea how to even get to safety. So the ability for David's escape is feeble. Yet he is still helped. He doesn't have the ability to get there. He has to be led to there. You know, some of us here today are searching for a little safety of soul. And little by little, we find out how foolish those pursuits are, don't we? I could read you a thousand quotes from so many people who are at rocks that are higher than you are right now. They're wealthier, they're famouser, they're successful-er, and every one of them will tell you that there's always a rock higher that they want. The little-known secret, or maybe it's not so little-known, is that each rock you reach won't actually satisfy. It doesn't actually make you safe, no matter how high it is. John Rockefeller who was at one time worth 1% of the entire U.S. economy, just him alone, worth 1%. He was asked how much money is enough money. You know what he said? Just a little more. Just a little more. It doesn't matter how successful you are. You will still need a rock that is higher than you. And there is only one rock that is higher than all of us. Some of us are so fretful. Some of us are so fearful. Is it any wonder you're trying to get to safety without being led. Your rhythms have become so detached from this book and from prayer, you're basically trying to self-help your way up to a rock that is a little bit higher than you are. And you're going to fall. The way is not safe. Your strategy is not viable. It won't work. So I wonder what, what is your rock this morning? What is that thing that you just flip your eyes up to that gives you a little sliver of hope or that distracts you from the circumstances you're in right now? Whatever it is, can I just encourage us to really, really believe Psalm 61, to forsake those little rocks and run to the rock that is higher than all of us, to hide yourself in Jesus. Fix your eyes on the highness of God. He's high enough to hear all of us, no matter how far or faint 
we feel. How do we do this, though? How do, how do we actually do this? I think this psalm's big idea is really simple. When, when you strip it all down, the application is really straightforward. It's this. Pray when you're in trouble. <laughs> pray when you're in trouble. Big trouble, small trouble, medium trouble. Pray. It's not just God's highness that's a reference point for David as he's floating down the shoreline of his life. It's God's nearness, too. So the second thing this morning, fix your hopes on the nearness of God. This is verses 4 and 5, if you're tracking with me. Fix your hopes on the nearness of God. Look at verse 4. In the darkest night of his soul, David's deepest longings drift to, you see it there? A tent. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Now you probably know that the tent he's referencing here is actually the tabernacle. There is so much to say about the tabernacle. It was a beautiful, amazing, incredible sight to behold. And I wish we could talk about it. But, but the reason David wanted to be there was simple. God was there. It was where he could go to be near to God. What centered David in times of trouble? It was God's nearness to him. And look at that special place that David gets there in verse 4. Do you see it? He gets under the wings of God. He didn't just come to be with God. He clearly actually belongs with God. A human being having belonging with God. As near as you can get to him. Under his wings. You can be under assault from the world. Experiencing all kinds of physical difficulties. And yet experience a nearness to God. So much so that it's like being under his wings. It's amazing. Well, where do we go as sort of New Testament Christians? Where do we go to get near to God? It feels kind of cut and dry for David here, doesn't it? He could get nearest to God by going to this place. He knew the exact place to go to to get nearest to God, where he manifested his presence in the tabernacle. But, I mean, I guess we're in the t- some kind of tabernacle today, but there is no more tabernacle, right, where, where God manifests his presence like he did in the Old Testament. So how do we get near to God like David here? How do we get under the wings of God to feel the warmth and safety and belonging with God? As amazing as this stunning tent was, it was only ever supposed to be a shadow of something greater. So as, as the storyline of redemptive history progresses throughout the Bible, from Psalm 61 to the end of the scriptures, we see this stunning truth begin to unfold. See, the the meaning of the word tabernacle is actually dwelling place. The word tabernacle means dwelling place. The tabernacle was for David the dwelling place of God. It's where God lived, where he manifested his special presence. It's where David could be near to God. But a thousand years after David penned these words here in Psalm 61, the apostle John sat down to write about his experience with Jesus. And here's what he said in John 1, 14. He said, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Again, that word dwell there is intimately related to the word tabernacle. In other words, when Jesus came, he tabernacled among us. God was dwelling with his people. So if, if David fixes his sights on the nearness of God by going to the tabernacle— What do we do? We can all draw near to God by coming to Jesus and trusting in his finished work. This is the primary application for New Testament believers. 
The gospel is so simple and so beautiful. Three words. Four words. Jesus in my place. Jesus in my place. His life in my place. His death in my place. His resurrection in my place. A thousand years after David talks about the wings of God in Psalm 61, Jesus brings some like real concrete clarity to this concept. What, like, what, what was David actually talking about? What are the wings of God? Well, in Matthew 23, 37, Jesus himself laments. He says this, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? And yet you would not, Jerusalem. This is Jesus' lament. It's his lament for every sinner who refuses to trust in him. Listen, I have no idea where you're at with Jesus this morning, here in our tabernacle or online. I don't know if you believe he is who he says he is. I don't know if you're skeptical or a straight-up cynic about Jesus. But the Bible says more than anything in this life, more than oxygen, more than water, more than food, more than anything, you need protection from the just wrath of God. You need to be under his wings. While Jesus is calling this morning, would you run to the cross and take refuge under the shelter of his wings? Don't let it be that at the end of time, Jesus says to you, I wanted to gather you under my wings, but you would not. Jesus suffered the cold rejection of his father so that we could enter the warm embrace of the father. So we don't serve a savior that says, suck it up. We serve a savior who was hoisted up on a cross for sins he didn't commit so that you don't have to be. So as you float down the shoreline of your life, fix your eyes on God's nearness wrought by the bloody cross of Jesus. Jesus is what brings you near to God, like David talks about here. So we don't go to a place like David did. We can go to a person. Today, thanks to Jesus, we can meet with God even at the ends of the earth. We don't have to, like David, long for this physical tent or building to get near to God because Jesus is the tabernacle. He's the dwelling place of God. We can always draw near to the throne of God through the cross of Christ. But I just want to help us take one logical uh, implication here, another step of implication. I grant you that we can get to God anywhere on this earth in the name of Jesus. It's a beautiful application here. It's why we finish our prayers with, in Jesus' name, amen, because he's what gets us to God, the name of Jesus. But there's an implication here for New Testament Christians that I don't think we should miss. I actually talked a little bit about this last summer from Psalm 22. When I was here, I doubt that many or any of you remember that at all. I'm actually going to use a, a, a quote that I used last summer too. But I think it'll be helpful for us in, in, in framing this for us. On this side of the cross, what is the central way that you and I get nearest to God? By gathering with his body. This is it. There is something unique about the gathering of Christ's body as a local church. His spirit is especially present when his people get together in Jesus' name. Mike Cosper, who incidentally is a part of Sojourn Network, um, he's a pastor in Louisville, he says this about our gathering as New Testament Christians. He says, The gathering is unique, not as an encounter with God, since God's presence is a constant comfort, 
and help to the Christian. It's unique as an encounter with God intensified among the people of God, filled with the Spirit of God, spurring one another along in the mission of God. It's communal. It's not individualistic. Christ in me meets Christ in you. The gathering should be a place where believers are built up and encouraged in the midst of various trials and circumstances in their lives. That's why it's so critical for us to come together. So when we gather, we sing to each other. We declare the truths of the gospel to one another. Our presence and our participation is not merely for the sake of our individual relationship with God, but it's also for our brothers and sisters' sake. Our participation in the gathering is testimony and encouragement to the people around you. When you sing, you are speaking the truth in love to your church around you. That's why it's so important. Sing out. Let the church hear you. And your bold confession of faith this morning may be exactly what someone nearby needs to hear in the midst of his or her dark hours. That may be exactly what the Spirit had dialed up this morning for someone else to hear you singing at the top of your lungs. Christ is risen from the dead. That's the special joy of gathering together. That's why it's like prom when we come together, but better than prom. We don't have to get to a tabernacle to experience the nearness of God, but we can experience an intensified nearness when we gather together with his people. God's nearness is the central driver for holiness. So some of us, bet you anything. Some of us in here, maybe all of us, have experienced, especially when we were in full-out quarantine, we've experienced a dip in delighting in God over the past few months. Some of us have fallen into sins we never imagined that we would fall into. Some of us have felt our hunger for God's Word and our hunger for holiness wane. Is it any wonder? It's not an excuse. I'm not trying to excuse it, but it's not all that surprising. We especially experience God's nearness when we gather with his body. So Brandywine, at all costs, you have to make it a priority to be where God's nearness is especially tangible. So can I encourage you to really prioritize this gathering? Some of us right now, we can only do this online, and and I understand that. But by God's grace, as we begin to see this virus beat down, what will your impulse be? Will you allow the the rhythm that you've developed over the last few months to continue on? Stay home? And I hope not. God's nearness is encountered most fully when we are together as God's people. And it centers us when we're in trouble. How do we enjoy the nearness of God? By being with his people. If you're in Christ this morning, can can I just remind you of the insane, stunning privilege you have to hide under the very wings of God himself. And that insane privilege is intensified by being with these people and going in with them, all out. So as we close here, I just want to read verses 6 and 7 with brief comment. You can see it there. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Dude, how could David pray this with a straight face? It's natural for him, and I think for any of us, really, to pray that our lives would be prolonged, like he does in the first half of verse 6. But how can he possibly ask that his years would endure to all generations? No human king ever lives forever. 
And he's got to know that he's not the exception, right? He can see his, his aging body, his graying hair. He knows that he's getting older. So I, I think David here is praying beyond himself. David's praying beyond himself because of a promise that God had given to him years prior. You can see this in 2 Samuel 7. God promises David that he would establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And that promise would ultimately be fulfilled from somebody in David's line, in Jesus. So here's what happens in Luke 1. In Luke 1, the angel Gabriel tells Mary, he says, Behold, you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and the Lord will give to him, here it is, the throne of his father David, and he will reign forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So in verses 6 and 7, David is trusting God that he will keep his promise. Jesus is coming. We'll celebrate in a few months here. Is the ultimate proof that God keeps his word. Jesus is coming is the ultimate proof that God actually keeps his promises. So I, I think this is the final reference point for us this morning for us to focus our hearts on when we're in trouble. Fix your confidence on the promises of God. It's in verses 6 to 8. Fix your confidence on the promises of God. The anxieties of your insecure presence can be solved by the sureties of your inevitable future. Hear that again. The anxieties of your insecure present can be solved by the sureties of your inevitable future because of what Jesus has done for you. Think about the people that would have sung this psalm way back in the day, right after it was first penned. Psalm 61. After David had died, he'd passed off the scene. The throne has been vacated by David's line, and they're like in a hopeless state. The kingdom's dividing. What of God's promises now? This throne that's going to continue forever? When all hope seemed lost, in the dark night of many, many souls, a baby was born that would bear the sins of the world. The world in that moment, when nobody's understanding how Psalm 61 is even a, like a, a, a true thing. It just seems like a, a, a fable, a, a fairy tale. In that moment, the world did not feel loved, but it was loved and was loved beyond imagination. We are not loved just when we feel loved. We're loved at all times. God is doing his thing all the time. This is tough to believe because sometimes it requires us to get to beyond sentimentality and emotions as our only evidence is being loved. God has said that he loves you. God, God has not only said that he loves you, but he's proven it with the coming of Jesus and with Jesus' death on the cross. And, and you can trust him. You can fix your confidence on the promises of God. David had to cling to this. He had to cling to this in this moment of darkness in his life, and we do too. So when you are floating down the shoreline of your life, fix your hope on that, friends. Things are super unsettling in the water right now, aren't they? Man. But when your feet are firmly planted on the shores of eternity, you'll be able to look back and make perfect sense of everything that happened because God's promises are sure and ine inevitable. He will keep you until the end. A few minutes ago, I, I mentioned that the central point of this psalm is just to pray when you're in trouble. So this week as you pray, pray these three things. Fix your gaze. Pray with these things in mind. The highness of God. Fix your gaze on the highness of God. Fix your hopes on the nearness of God. He's near to you. He's not just high. 
He's near. And finally, fix your confidence on the promises of God. Amen. Will you pray with me? Jesus, to you, the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. You are our rock. Help us run to you. Help us fix our gaze on your highness, fix our hopes on your nearness, and fix our confidence on your promises. In Jesus' name, amen.